And that is, if you are done with the hiding, there's no need to wait. Run to the Father. Run to the Father. There's no, there's nowhere else to run. I'm here to tell you. You can try anything and everything else. And it will not do for you what our Heavenly Father can do for you. So hear that now before we say anything else. And, uh, and our prayer and His desire for you is for you to come running to Him. For us to come running to Him. So, I'll ask this question too. Who are you? Who are you? You know, when we were kids, uh, we used to like to play uh, pretend. And especially when there was a particular television show that we really liked. And we would get together and we would, we would choose parts in that particular show. And I think one of the shows that we used to do at our house was Hawaii Five-O. And you remember, you remember, some of you remember this, book them, Dano. You remember that? <laughs> okay, so, so it was inevitable as kids, and maybe you do this as adults too, that when you watch a show or you see a, a movie, you're like, okay, I identify with that guy right there. Like, like I, I want to be, if I were in this movie, I would want to be that guy. I would want to be the hero. Or I would, would want to be the one that figured everything out. So I think uh, that when we read Scripture, that I think we need to kind of play by those same rules. And as we're reading, we try to figure out who it is in the Scripture that we're reading that we most relate to. Who would we be in this particular set of circumstances? So I'm asking you to do that this morning as we're going to read from, from John chapter 4 today. And this is a Scripture that is beloved by so many people and a lot of you know the story of the woman at the well. And I think back to uh, years past when we would put on uh, uh, artistic presentations, we'll call them. Uh, and, and we would have uh, somebody do the scene from the woman at the well. And I know a lot of y'all know Charlie Reinhardt. And I remember when she played that part. And then she would, uh, she would at the end of her scene... After she met with Jesus, she would leave and she would start telling people in the audience, now I've just met Jesus. He told me everything I had ever done. And just what a beautiful picture to be able to see that. Even though it wasn't the real thing, sometimes it helps to get a visual of things. So if you will, uh, try, to, try to get a visual this morning as we read through our scripture. And this chapter of John, John chapter 4, it does tell the story of the Samaritan woman. It talks about a lady who went to a well one day, which there's really nothing spectacular about that. She went to a well to draw water, earthly water, that sustains life. Not a big deal. And, you know, in that day and time, people went to the well a lot to get that very thing. But what she w didn't expect was to meet her Savior there that day and to receive from Him water that after she partook, she would never run dry. And he would take care of her thirst forever. And what a beautiful picture, what a beautiful story that is. But we're, gonna, we're going to take our, our scripture this morning from what happened after that. And what happened as a result of that. Because here's another reality this morning. When Jesus changes you and when Jesus changes your life, 
it's like a stone thrown into a body of water and the circles go out from there, the concentric circles. So when Christ changes your life, it will affect the people around you uh, in one way or another. And that's the beauty of what he does. So he changed her life. He gave her eternal life that day. And we know as Christians, as believers, as church-going people, if you want to call us that, we know that it is only through believing in Jesus and what he has done that we can receive this eternal life that we're talking about this morning. It's the only way that we can be saved. And so this lady was saved that day. Uh, this lady is in heaven today. All because one day she went to the well to get a different kind of water than what she left with. And as a result of what happened to her there, she ran home and she told people what happened. So let's read what took place after that. And again, as we read, as we hear about different people in this story, try to put yourself in some of their shoes. We're going to begin with verse number 39 of John chapter 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did, that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus again came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So, what kind of person are you? Which one of these people are you? Who do you identify with in this particular story? Or how would you even answer the question, who are you? Who are you? This is an identity question. 
And we can answer that question in a lot of different ways. And I'm, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a banker, I'm a lawyer, I'm a farmer, I'm a, a pilot, I'm an accountant, I'm all sorts of things. We can answer that question a lot of different ways, but the most crucial, critical way, important way that you and I can answer that question is I am a Christian. I am a believer. I am saved. I am one who has received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the way that you answer that particular question will not only determine how you live your life on this earth, but it will also determine how you will spend your eternity. That's how important it is. We like to push this question to the side. We like to push these things to the side because they're uncomfortable for some of us to think about because we're not sure. We're not sure. We don't know. And we think we know, but we're not real sure or not if we know and so I'm not going to think about that now. I'll do like Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind. I won't think about that today. I'll think about that another day. And then there's scripture to, to debate that or to counter that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. So think about that today. Be done with the hiding. Stop running away and run to the Father who will always have his arms stretched out and wide open. For you. Could it be that in a room full of familiar faces that there are those here today that just aren't sure? Well, I just don't know. And I need to know and I want to know. And that's a good position to be in because there are people here who want you to know and want to help you understand. See, it's it's all good. It's all good. We're all wanting the same thing for each other. We all want what he wants for us. It is not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That includes you. All doesn't leave anybody out. All is everybody. So everybody in here, if we were to interview you, and we're not going to do this, but if we were to interview you and ask you if you were a Christian, if you were saved, if you knew that you were going to heaven, what would your answer be? Would there be an automatic answer to the affirmative, yes, I am a Christian? Would there be a hesitation, I believe I'm a Christian? Would there be a long hesitation, and I'm not sure where I would go if I were to die? And see, there's a remedy, remedy to all of that, because you don't have to be in that position. And it's not like we're, we're, we're trying to get you to a point where you know you're saved so that we can get a pat on the back and so that we can get an extra crown or so that we can have done our good deed for the, for the week or the month and don't have to do anything else. It is our desire for those who are lost to know what we know. It was the woman at the well. It was her desire for the people that she knew in town to know what she knew, to know who she knew. There is this desire. It's not anything but an honest and sincere desire for you to partake of what we have partaken of. There's no malice or vengeance or hatred or jealousy involved in that at all. There is no, I am better than you. I am better than you, and I'm going to show you how because I've got, it's not that. It is, I was lost and dying and on my way 
to hell. And then I met Jesus and realized my state and realized his, the way he, he took care of that for me at the cross. And I met him. I accepted him. I believe in him. My faith is in him. And he did a great thing. He died for me, but then he rose again. This is what God can do for you. He can take you from where you are and put you in a better place. He can take you off the road that leads to hell and put you on the road that leads to heaven. He can make your life an abundant life, which is what he came to do for us. Okay, and so that's the that's the pre-sermon. So let's move on. Um, Let's take a look at some of these people in the scripture that we read today. We're going to read some more scripture, uh, and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Put yourself in the shoes of some of the people there. But first of all, let's take a look at the Samaritans. The Samaritans that were saved in this particular scripture. Now, I would, would be so pleased and excited if everybody here could say that they were a Christian and that they believed in Jesus and that they were on their way to heaven. Uh, that would be th- that would be the greatest. Um, but there's a great possibility with this many people here today that there are some that don't know. And in this town, in this town, there were people that did not know. But after this particular day or a couple of days, all of that changed for quite a few quite a few people. Um, it's been explained this way, and I like this explanation of the scripture that we just read. Uh, you got a crowd of Samaritans. And they have come onto this scene, and they're eager, and they're very welcoming uh, people. This is, even though by a great majority of society, they are looked down upon, and made fun of, and talked about, and and people can't stand them. They just, just they can't stand them. And so they go up to this this strange Jewish man, and they ask him. They say, "Hey." Um, you know, let me back up a little bit. I feel like they, they knew that they could approach him because unlike all other Jewish people, he showed that he was not racially biased, that he was not a prejudiced Jew, that he would actually talk to a Samaritan. This was not done. You just didn't do that. You went to the other side of the road when a Samaritan was coming down the road. And so they already saw that this guy was approachable, which must have intrigued them because they hadn't seen a welcoming Jew before. And that's what he was. And so then they went up to him and they started asking him questions like, come and stay with us. Come and hang out for a couple of days. Come and eat with us. Come and stay in my house. Come and talk to us. Still intrigued. And then Jesus said, something that most Jews of the day would not have said, sure, I'll come. And in saying those words, maybe not those exact words, but in saying those words, I don't know how many Jewish customs or or ways of doing things that he broke by saying he would go eat the, the Samaritan's food and sleep in the Samaritan's bed and talk to the Samaritans in the ways that he talked with them. And in doing what he did and in sharing the message that he shared, pretty much revival broke out in that town. And many believed, many believed because of his own word. See, the the woman had come already and shared 
and some had believed. But then he came and shared the word, and then many more believed. Are you any of these people that we're talking about? Something else you'll notice in the scripture is that the Samaritans were not like the Jews in that they did not ask for signs. If you're who you say you are, then do this. They didn't ask for that. That's important for us to note right there. These people who were so despised were so ready to hear what this Jew had to say. See, Jesus took a situation that could have gone completely different, and he worked it to the advantage. I don't want to say to his advantage, but he worked it to the advantage of the people. What kind of influence do you have as a Christian to walk into a group of people who are questioning and asking, what of this Jesus? What of your religion? What of your belief? Do you realize that that is a prime opportunity for you not to get up and act and, and, and spout every biblical, uh, every Bible verse or everything that you know about the Bible, but to share with them what Jesus has done for you? People want to hear that. Even though they may turn, or, turn away and do that right there, they want to hear what you have to say because they are in the same boat that these Samaritans were in. You know, they are longing for an acceptance that they're not getting but from anyone else. Even the people who sell them all these things and say, if you buy this, everybody will love you. If you wear this, everybody will love you. If you do this, everyone will accept you. Lie, lie, lie from the father of lies. That is what that is. So they're longing to be accepted just as they are. That's what everybody wants. And though they may not ever admit it, that's what they want. Isn't that what you wanted? I don't belong anywhere. I don't fit in anywhere. I don't really know anybody that's like me. I'm strange. I'm weird. I'm odd. I'm different. I'm not like anybody else. I just wish that somebody would accept me just the way that I am and love me just the way that I am. And that's Jesus. And that was Jesus in this situation. And that can be you in your situation. But I will say this. I'm so thankful that he took me just as I am, but he didn't leave me just as I was. He, he, he changes us. He changes us. These people were changed. And, and they, there was such a readiness for them to accept what he had to say. And so they were changed. They, their faith came to rest on something that was solid, really even more solid than the testimony of the woman at the well. Their faith rested on the, the solidity, the solidness, the firmness, the strength of the very word of God coming out of the son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Um, verse 42. Now we believe not because of thy saying, speaking to the Samaritan woman, not because of what you said. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. We know that this is the Savior of the world. And it's so significant that this great truth that they, that they knew about Jesus uh, was also first, ex was first expressed by Samaritans that were hated. You know, they understood who he was. They accepted who he, who he was. Jesus had even told the woman at the well, he had said, salvation is of the Jews. But this Samarit these Samaritans said, yeah, and so it is. 
But we have not found just salvation, but we have found a Savior. And we have not just found the Savior of the Jews, but we have found the Savior of the Samaritans. We have found Christ, the Savior of the world. And all the connotations, everything that comes with that. Jesus came to save the world. Not just the Jewish people. He wasn't just for the Jewish people. He came to save us all. For you who may be sitting there, uh, I'm not going to get saved, or I don't need to be saved, or who is entertaining thoughts similar to that, Jesus came to save you. And He is pursuing you. And He loves you. And He wants you, not for another notch in His belt. I'm not even sure He wears a belt. But He wants you to be with Him in heaven forever because He loves you just the way that you are. Yes, just the way that you are. Pastor William, you don't know what I, what, I, what I watched on TV yesterday. You don't know what I've seen on the Internet this week. You don't know the thoughts that have passed through my head. No, I don't, but Jesus does. And yes, He loves you anyway. He's not happy about the choices you made, but He wants to make he wants to help you make choices that even you will be happy with. And it all is because he loves you. So these Samaritans, here's another cool thought. These Samaritans were delivered that day. They were delivered that day forever from sin and death and hell. And they are in heaven. They are in heaven all because a lady went to a well one day to get some water. And met somebody there she, she hadn't intended to meet. So, very quickly, these people came to be saved a couple of different ways. One way was because of godly testimony. One way was because of the godly testimony of this Samaritan woman. And everybody that has been saved has a testimony. Everybody has a testimony. Everybody's testimony will not be the same. There may be some similarities in our testimonies. But here's one thing for sure. There is power in your testimony. There is power when you share what Christ has done in your heart and in your life. I don't have words. I'm not eloquent in, in the way that I speak. Uh, I can't command a crowd like I've seen some people do. That's okay because some people don't like crowds and avoid crowds and would much rather talk one-on-one -on -one to somebody. And maybe that's something you can do well. You can talk one-on-one. -on -one. Well, even then I get nervous and start to sweat and I start to stutter and all this stuff. Well, let God use your sweat and let God use your stuttering to share Christ with somebody. Have you ever considered that that's possibly a gift? I'm so sorry I'm sweating here. I know the air conditioning is really pumping in here today, but I'm sweating because what I'm getting ready to tell you is so important to me and, and can be so important to you. So I apologize for this sweat. I apologize, but I don't apologize. And if you stutter, I apologize, but I don't apologize. Use whatever it is that God has given you to use, even those things, because there is power in your testimony. And God uses powerful testimonies to reach people. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen a pastor or a teacher uh, or a man, a woman, a, a, a student get up and share their testimony. I've seen it in big venues and big conferences and things like that. And, and at the end of that testimony, an invitation was given. And because of the, of the power of that person's testimony, 
and what God had done in that person's life, people were moved to make a decision for Christ as well. So it may be your testimony that you came to know Christ because you heard the powerful testimony or testimonies of other people. And not just a testimony of salvation, but there's testimonies we have about God's faithfulness in our lives. You know, it is a testimony for us to stand up and talk about all the good things that God has done. And there's never a shortage of those things, ever. But what a blessing to be able to go wherever we go and say, I'm so thankful to God for this day. I'm so thankful that, you know, I've been sick. I've had the flu. This is the first day I felt like getting out and being a human being again. I'm just so grateful to God to be over all that mess. You know, we've all got testimonies to share. Uh, salvation testimonies. God's blessing testimonies. And they're all powerful. Because anytime you talk about what God has done in your life, there is power in that. Power in your testimony. But also, there are people here who were saved by God's truth, by the very word out of God's mouth, by the word of God, so to speak. And many more believed, this is verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. So these Samaritans were saved by the very words that came out of Jesus' mouth, the Son of God. They were saved by the word of God. And quite literally, no one has ever been saved apart from the word of God because it was the word of God that that a person heard when they understood their sinless state it was the word of God that a person heard when they heard about Jesus and what Jesus had done so ultimately it all comes from the word of God and we know that the word of God is powerful because scripture says that it is and that it goes out and accomplishes what it sets out to do and it's sharper than a two-edged sword so when I tell you what I learned from the Word of God and what God has done in my life, then that's affecting you as well. So it all kind of works together. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and your powerful testimony. All these things together can bring about very powerful and unpredictable results. And they did on this particular day. So you've got the Samaritans, the Samaritans that got saved. Is that who you identify with in Scripture? Let's move on. I'm thankful that we can be like the Samaritans, but there were also some people in Scripture that were hard-hearted towards the message of Jesus and what Jesus had to say. Uh, many, many people were hard-hearted and not willing to uh, receive and accept Jesus the way that a lot of these Samaritans were. And he, he talks about in that scripture about how uh, there is no uh, respect or honor for a prophet in his own land. And we had a message a couple of weeks ago uh, out of, I think it was out of the book of Mark. And it was, it was called Rejection. And we talked about how Jesus went to his hometown and he was rejected by the people there. We see here that Jesus went to Galilee, not to Nazareth, but he was received well in Galilee. And many Galileans trusted Jesus, but there were a lot of people who didn't. And there were a lot of rejections that he, that he suffered. I want to read uh, a different account of when Jesus went to his hometown. And again, look at the rejection that he received. After he went to the synagogue on that day and began to preach and share and say things that amazed them, even after they had seen the miracles that he had performed. This is what happened as a result of that. This comes from Luke chapter 4. 
verses 28 through 30. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They didn't have good plans for Jesus. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So here we see the people that in this town, in his town, ready to put Jesus in danger. He, they wanted to put Jesus in harm's way. They weren't happy with him and what he had to say. So they were eager to put him in danger, not knowing that by, by blatantly rejecting him and what he was saying to them, they were putting themselves in the worst danger that ever was by rejecting what he was offering, by rejecting to believe in Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? And you know, when it talks about how in his own country uh, a prophet has no honor, I think about our country, and I think about how it seems like in some venues and in some places there's just no honor and no worship and no glorifying of God and of Jesus Christ. And that's a sad that's a sad state of being for a country that was, and you can underline and bold this, founded on Christian principles, founded upon the Word of God. I want to get patriotic for just a few minutes, and I want to share some quotes with you uh, from some people who lived back in the day and knew what it was like. Not people who are living in this day and tried to figure things out how they were, but from people who actually lived back then and some of the things that they said. I think you know the Declaration of Independence pretty well. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, we get all of these rights from our Creator. And God's people said, Amen. And Patrick Henry he said this in his will. This is all the inheritance I can give to my dear family. But the religion of Christ can give them one which will make them rich indeed. Amen. Um, I've got several here. Let me try to point out the, for sake of time, the ones that I think will be, this one's good. This is from Francis Scott Key. Uh, he wrote, he was the author of the Star Spangled Banner. May I always hear that you are following the guidance of that blessed spirit that will lead you into all truth, leaning on that almighty arm that has been extended to deliver you, trusting only in the only Savior, and going on in your way to him rejoicing. Now, these are our founding fathers. These are not perfect people. I think they're people just like you and me that understand their great need for a Savior. And when you know that you have a great need and you know that someone has taken care of that need for you, then you're vocal about it. And these men, even as they, they have written these things, are giving testimony to what God has done in their lives. That's so awesome. And yet, in this day and time, people so stubbornly reject the message of Christ. Some of them reject it outright, all of it. And want nothing to do with it. And don't mention his name 
in anything. Is it possible that in this country where we know we know why we're here and how we got here, that there would ever be a gathering of leadership that would not acknowledge Jesus? Does that should that should be so upsetting to us? And then equally upsetting are those that will take the word of God and push away the things that they don't like about it and add a few things that they think were left out to make something that does not resemble the truth at all. And that should be upsetting to us as well. And what they feel that they are doing, I can only imagine, is that they are making it safe for people to sin without consequence. They're making it okay for people to do that which God does not like and be okay with it because, you know, we've worded it this way and it's a little bit safer to say now. But what these people don't know that they're doing is that they are helping people to get into a very dangerous position, a position that they're already in themselves, just like the people who were trying to push Jesus off the cliff or whatever. They were the ones in danger because in rejecting Christ, they are rejecting eternal life. In rejecting Christ, they are rejecting heaven. In rejecting Christ, they are rejecting peace and grace and forgiveness. They're the ones in danger. And there's a part of us that may be thinking, yeah, ha ha, that's what they get. But let's back it up a little bit. We want these people to be saved as well. We don't want anybody to go to hell. Because God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. We want all people, even these people, that if we feel like right now they were in front of us, the very least we could do is slap them in the face. Because we can't stand them. But could we love these people? Could we pray for these people? Yeah. Because he said that we could and he told us to. And he is our strength. So are we like the Samaritans that are ready to receive the truth? Are we like the Samaritans that have received the truth? Or are we like the hometown people that stubbornly reject the offer that is given to us, that's laid before us? And then there's one other opportunity for us to step into somebody's shoes here. And that is when we look at the ruler uh, that is talked about in the last part of the scripture that we read this morning. Um. Looking at verse number 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So we've got a nobleman here. Uh, In the original language, they use the word basilikos, which means nobleman, which means king's man, which means that he was more than likely an officer of Herod Antipas. Okay, and, and, and this type of a person and Jesus do not mix. It's kind of like the Jews and the Samaritans. They don't mix. There would be controversy if something like this came about, if, if there was some type of a relationship there. But we see this man, and this man is desperate. And he is desperate because his son is on the verge of death. And he is desperate for his son 
to be healed. And so his desperation drove him to Jesus. His desperation drove him to his knees. He was a desperate man. And you've got a man here of very high standing. Very high standing. That is going to talk to a guy who the best that most people can say about him is he's a carpenter from Nazareth. <laughs> so you got a man with high standing coming to beg of a man who is known as a carpenter in a little old town. Not to mention the distance between, between Cana and Capernaum. Uh, I think at best estimations, it's about a 20-mile journey, which, you know, he couldn't just hop into his SUV and drive there. Uh, that was a long journey for this man. But he was willing to make that journey because he was desperate. Desperate. And I don't think there could be any more unlikely of a scene than this important man rushing to talk to the village carpenter to, to, to beg of him something that this Jewish carpenter could give to him. So he needed to see Jesus. He needed to get to Jesus. He needed to get the help that he needed because he was in a desperate situation. He had a son, and his son was getting ready to die. And maybe that's how we came to know Jesus. Maybe we were in a desperate situation. I've seen people come to know Christ as a result of a loved one dying. And the, the thoughts of this person dying put them in a frame of mind where they had to think about their own mortality and what would happen when they died. And the fact that they were going to miss this person and that this person was such an important part of their lives, how are they going to go on? And through this time of desperation and difficulty, this person came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The same thing can happen through a sickness, through an illness, through financial crisis. Uh, all sorts of circumstances put you and me as human beings in desperate situations. And in desperation, we go to the place where we can get the help that we need. And in this man's desperation, he went to the one he believed could help him. He went to Jesus. He went to that. He went to that Jewish carpenter. And so we see that these things that cause us to be desperate can actually work out for our good, as we have read in Scripture many, many times. But he was desperate, but he was also determined. He was determined because he was going to do whatever it took to get to Jesus and to talk to him. And Jesus even said, you know, Jesus even said something about signs. And it almost sounded like he was trying to convince this man, you know, why are you here? What can be done for you? And this man was determined. And he said, I'm here because of you. I'm here because I know what you can do. I'm here because I know that you can heal my son. And I need you to heal him because you sir are my only hope jesus was his only hope and a couple of thousand years later we say the same thing jesus is our only hope he is our only hope you know i think about our our students that are pushed and driven to excel in everything they have to excel in sports they have to excel in school they have to excel in social graces uh, they have to excel in looks and performance and do this and do that because we want the best for you. We want, we want your life to be better than ours. 
And and so you must do this and you must do that. And sometimes I wonder, what are we doing to their what are we doing to them when we're pushing them so much and pushing them towards things that in the scope of eternity don't mean anything. And yet we don't take any time to talk to them about Jesus. We don't take the time to say, well, I know you've got this practice scheduled and I know you've got this paper due and I know you've got all of this stuff to do, but I want you to come to church because I, I know what is there and what you will hear there is a far more worth than what you're going to get in any of these other places. Let's get real. Let's be real here. You're going to spend so much energy and so much money on yourself and on your kids to get them to be just perfect. And I hate to bust your parental or your teenage bubble here, but you will never be perfect this side of eternity. It won't happen. So you know what you do? You trust God. You accept His gift of salvation. You go out and you do your thing because He has given you gifts and abilities. Those are the things we cultivate. Those are the things we try to use in our lives. Along the way, if we make straight A's, good job. If we make the captain of the team and we win the championship, go team. But if our children are saved, and if they choose a life to honor Christ, whether that be in the business or the athletic or the entertainment or whatever field it is, if their desire is to honor God in those areas, then let's do more than a little hand clap and a yeehaw. Let's get on our feet and praise God that that's the, the path that they have chosen. That's the reality of our lives, people. The world says the exact opposite, but don't listen to them. And, and listen, to, listen to God. The Samaritans listened to God, and it changed their lives forever. And because they listened and because they believed, they're in heaven today. Do you think that if we could pull them down here and ask them if they had any regrets, that they could think of one regret? I don't think so. But oh, the regrets that I have in raising my own son and working with the youth here at the church and things that I know that I, I have said amiss and that I was wrong and, and not intentionally, but I just, I just didn't know. And, and as, as we grow and as we understand Scripture and as we come to know Christ better, we understand things more and we realize the importance of, thing, of things. And oh, how I wish sometimes we could live to be the ripe old age of seven, eight, nine hundred, like people in Scripture in Bible times. Because I feel like the older I get, the more I'm understanding things. And I wish I knew then what I know now. Oh, forever will this human race be saying that. I wish I knew then what I know now. And all those people that wasted all their time spending that nights and days at a job away from their families, uh, running their kids to everything that they could get them signed up for so that they could be a step above every other kid. So to the point that we exhausted them and exhausted ourselves so that we didn't have any time to sit around and talk about how you doing, how's school going, how's your, how's your spiritual walk with Christ. I can't have conversations like that. Let's take that can't out of that and let's put won't. I won't have conversations like that. I won't because I'm too busy. I won't because we're too tired. I won't because there are other things that are more important right now. 
There is nothing more important than Jesus and who he is to you and what he wants to do with your life. Imagine, imagine if, imagine if the woman at the well looked at Jesus and said, I'm sorry, I can't talk, I've got to go. Imagine if the people, the Samaritans, said to, to Jesus, we don't want you here. You know, your people are looking down at us all the time. You can't stand us. We don't want your kind here in this city. What if the ruler, what if the, what if the, the man of high standing had said, go talk to a Jewish carpenter and beg him to help my son? What can he do? Imagine how their lives would have been different. Imagine how all the people who were affected by their choices would not have been affected. Because it said that the man went home to his house and he and his entire house believed. And because of that, he and his entire house are in heaven. Heaven is real. What Jesus did is real. What he wants you to know this morning is that if you don't know that it's real for you, it can be. It is, you are just one decision away from peace forgiveness, and eternal life. And it's just a choice you make. It's that simple. Let's all stand.